0: Have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 13. Now we're going for a series, we're going for a journey, a walk through Acts, and it's been fun. And we've noticed, I guess, a theme over the, over the last 13 chapters of doing and saying, and saying and doing, and saying and doing and doing and saying. Being a disciple of Jesus is not just a matter of believing something in your head and not living it out in your life, right? It's not just coming to church for one hour a week and believing something and saying amen and then living a totally different way. It's, it's about saying what we declare about him, but it's also about doing as well. And so we'll see lots of things, lots of examples of people in Acts doing amazing things like healing somebody. But then straight away, they'll start saying something like the gospel and inviting people to follow Jesus. And so here we come to Acts chapter 13 and we see the Holy Spirit getting to say something and do something. And I love that. Now, it's common in our day and age to go to a church and everything revolves around the sermon. Mm-hmm. You notice this. I do anyway. If, if everyone's invited to speak at another church, um, we, 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 we sing songs, we have a prayer, we sing some more songs maybe, and then it's the sermon. Uh, That's what we're doing tonight pretty much. Have you ever been to a church where the sermon's first? And then there's praying and maybe some singing afterwards. It's, it's just a little bit weird for us, isn't it? Because everything revolves around the sermon, the teaching. And I think it's good. I think it's good to, I mean, we, we need the Bible. I need my Bible. I, ha- I have to have my Bible. If I don't have my Bible, I fall apart like my Bible. We need the teaching. But there's, there's something more important than camping around a sermon every Sunday. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, believers in God, God's people, they camped around the presence of God. Everything was centered on the presence of God. So you think about it, in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, they would go around the wilderness and they would take this tent with them called the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle was a a smaller little room called the Holy of Holies. And inside there, is the Ark of the Covenant, which is a box, right? And on top of that box were these angels, and they were pointing this way with their wings, and in, the, in between that, those two angels on top of the box was the presence of God resting upon that Ark, that box. And we're told, you can read it, every night there'd be a pillar of fire, and during the day there'd be a pillar of smoke, cloud. And everywhere that fire or that cloud went, guess who followed it? The people of God. Because they were all about him, his presence. Skip to the New Testament. Jesus hits the scene. The disciples have to be around Jesus. Lots of people have to be around Jesus. They're just drawn to him like a magnet. He was just so amazing. Exactly. Thank you, Marriott. So amazing. You know, he was so amazing that it only took three and a half years for him to make a big impact on the earth. Scholars tell us that he was about 33 years old when he died on the cross for our sins, 33 and a half maybe. All right. And when he was 30, he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit came upon him. John tells us like a dove and rested upon him. And from there, woo, he was doing some amazing things. It, it, it baffles me that 30 years of his life are not really recorded so much in the Bible until the presence comes upon him in bodily form like a dove, the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is 100% God and a 100% man. When he was conceived in Mary, he was 100% God and 100% man, right? All right, I'm not one of those people that don't believe that Jesus was God until he was baptized. But what I do believe is that the presence of God in in a powerful way came upon him through the Holy Spirit upon him as a human being, and from that moment he was commissioned. He was sent and everything that he said and everything that he did was God in the flesh, right? He was, he was presence of God in person. You want to know anything about God, you just read about Jesus, right? And he would go about. And in fact, he was so influential and so amazing that he could just walk somewhere and someone that didn't even get his attention, could reach out and grab his hem of his coat and be healed of what, they were, what their problem was. That's amazing. That's the presence of God. And here we see a church in Acts chapter 13, and they're in a place called Antioch. And Antioch, we, looked, we learned about that a few weeks ago, Antioch is, the place, is, is that place, those people from that place if you know what I mean, like, you know, like if you've ever been to Sydney, go to King's Cross, mm, or Brisbane, the Valley, back in the eighties, it was a bit, mm, or if you come to Victoria and you go to Dandenong and, mm, oh, sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. I don't know. What's that place in Victoria? Is there a place? Probably, (laughs) probably packing them probably packing them you just wouldn't you just that place you wouldn't expect God to be moving powerfully and these people they give their heart to Jesus and he does an inside job and so they end up becoming influencers in their town called Antioch and Antioch is actually the first place where people were called Christians all right in Antioch Um, you might have noticed up here on the screen I've titled the sermon today DUI all right now I used to be a non-Christian. Now, I understand what that acronym means. Does anyone here know what that that acronym stands for? What does it stand for? (laughs) Rose Richardson. Driving under the influence. Driving under the influence. All right? DUI. So I got busted for DUI a couple of times when I was a young fellow because I was silly. That was before Jesus, so it doesn't matter. All right? But, Whenever you are under the influence of something like alcohol or drugs or something, what does it do? It affects the way you speak, the way you think, the way you react in situations, the way you walk, the way you drive. It affects the way that you behave, right? It has a real effect. And you can almost tell when you see someone down the street that they're under the influence of something, all right? I'm understanding there's kids in the room, but you, you can tell because there's an outward, outward manifestation of something that's inward already. And I believe church should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit in everything. You can come up with, you can come up with fantastic plans. You can come up with fantastic programs and ideas that might have worked here or there, and think, well, that's going to work here. But if if the Holy Spirit is not central. If he's not the governing, influence influencing factor in that church, then it's just laboring in vain. You know, like if the Lord has to build the house. If the Lord doesn't build the house, the laborers labor in vain. And here we see this church in Antioch. Have a look. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 13. It says, in the church at Antioch, There were prophets and teachers, right? First off, there's a church and there's prophets and teachers. This is great. Prophets and teachers. Differences of gifts there, all right? And they're named. These people are named. We've got Barnabas and we've got Simeon. Now, Simeon's called what? Yeah, we like to say Niger, don't we? Because us Palangis, we don't want to offend anybody. This is Greek. This is a Greek word. This is Latin word. Niger. All right. It means he's from, he's a black man. This is a black man in a church with a white man, with a prophet, with a teacher. Anyone ever, ever been part of a choir? Oh, no. Some of you guys probably have been. There's four parts to a choir generally. I'm not sure. There's probably, maybe there's five. But the ones I've been in, there's four. There's alto, there's soprano, there's tenor, and there's bass. There might be like a baritone or something like that, mezzo-soprano or something like that. But generally, there's four parts. Have you ever heard a whole choir of one part? Nah, no, me neither. Because it sounds way better when all the differences are working together in harmony. And here's a church, what's the, what's the similarity? The so Holy Spirit gets to say something. And the Holy Spirit gets to do something, and everyone is focused on giving him a say and giving him a vote on what happens. So have a look. These people are named. We got Barnabas. We got Simeon. We've got Lucius. He's from Cyrene. We got Manaiion. This guy grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Like he's he's influential. He's up there. He's like aristocratical. I don't even know. Is that the right word? He's, he'd, he'd wear a business suit. You know, he'd have, he'd he'd be you know, have have his life all together. And here he is in the church too. So we've got different colors, different socio-ethnic backgrounds. We've got different gifts and they're all together in this one room, right? And it says, uh, and also Saul was there as well. Saul, the apostle Saul. Now you might think we could read over that and go, oh yeah, we know Saul, leave it at that. But did you know that this Saul, he was, he was, um, converted on the road to Damascus, probably about 10 or 12 years before this event. And he was at home in Tarsus, just spending time in private for 10 to 12 years because the church leaders were afraid of him. God had called him to a job. God had called him and said, you're going to be my prophet. You're going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. And then 10 or 12 years happen and he's not the apostle to the Gentiles. What's going on, Lord? You know. So if I was Paul, if I was Saul, I'd be be thinking, wow, Lord, you said this and it's not happening. Okay, I'll wait. Have you guys ever been in that situation where God has said something or promised something and it's like, He's just not coming through with it. Like, you ever heard of David, King David? Have you guys heard of King David? Yes. He is a giant slayer, right? He, before he was King David, he was Shepherd David. Before he was a giant slayer, he was a bear slayer. He was a lion slayer. He, was, he got his victories in private before God gave him a platform in the public sector to bring victory for the nation of Israel. And here is Saul, he's been in seclusion, he's been out out of the public eye and now he's included in this church. He's using his gifts, he's trusting the Lord and they work there together. Have a look at verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I just want to stop there. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, when were you at a church last and the Holy Spirit said? And how does the Holy Spirit say? What does he sound like? How does he talk? What, what happened here for the Holy Spirit to say something? They were fasting and they were praying. They were worshiping and they were fasting. Um God actually wants to talk to us and he talks to us all differently in different ways. Some people are more in tune to what he's saying to them than others. And often our heads get in the way of him talking to us the most. In, in 1 Samuel, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there, but I'm just going to turn there myself. In 1 Samuel, we read about a story of a lady called Hannah and she's childless. She doesn't have a child, and she desperately needs a child. She wants a, she wants a child, so she calls out to God, God, give me a child, please, I need us. I need a child. If you give me a child, I'll give him to you. And you know what God wanted? He didn't want a child. God wanted a prophet. God wanted someone who could, who could listen to him and speak to his nation because his nation, Israel, were not following him the way that he wanted them to. And so Hannah was calling out to God for for answered prayer this way, and God was answering prayer, but he was also answering his own prayer in a sense. And so Hannah conceived, gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. And then after she'd looked after him for some time, maybe he was about a teenager, she gave him to the Lord to work in the temple. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 3, I'll just read it. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, Eli's the, the, high, uh, the high priest, not a good example. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. God couldn't speak, why? Because no one, no one was honoring him. No one was recognizing his presence. No one was hungry for him. One night it says, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could hardly see, he was lying down in his usual place and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called out to Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered saying, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. You know, he thought it was Eli calling him when it was God. And this happened many times. In fact, the third time, The Lord said it again. And Samuel got up in verse 8 and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go back and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went down and lied down again. Now, remember where he was lying. Where was the place where Samuel was lying? He was lying near the Ark of the Covenant, near the box where the presence of God was in the temple. He'd positioned himself in that place. So he went down to to lie in his place. Then the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. He postured himself in 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 a posture of worship. In Acts chapter thirteen, this church where they're meeting, they they're worshiping and they're fasting. Now, you guys have eaten dinner today, or did you eat lunch? Yep. Not much. You've eaten today? Not much. Not much? Not much. <laughs> so you know what fasting is? Fasting is when you don't eat anything. So you say no to your your body's desires to eat. Yeah, no, it's not. I don't like that idea either. I I like eating. I've done a lot of eating the last few days, especially with my birthday and lots of people around. Food is around. There's lots of food. But fasting is is saying no to the physical cravings that we have and honing in on the spiritual cravings that we're designed to have. So Jesus, when he was baptized by John, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. And he was weak physically physically. And the devil himself came and tempted him. That's some tough spiritual warfare. I've never had the devil himself, not that I know of, come and tempt me. And so Jesus, he was weak physically, but he was strong enough to, to back up, uh, to, to face the devil in the wilderness. Fasting does that. But it says that they were doing more than fasting, they were worshipping. They're worshipping the Lord. What's worshipping the Lord? Like we did tonight. Like we did tonight. Yeah, I hopefully. You know what it is? It's basically we don't need we don't need we don't need guitar, we don't need voices, we don't need we don't need seats here, we don't need we don't need Bibles, don't get me wrong. I love my Bible. We don't need we don't need food, we don't need screen up here with words. What we need is a heart that says, I got nothing but that. I'm yours, and I've got nothing but that. And that's what it is. It's just posturing our hearts to the Lord and saying, I don't get it. I'm not perfect. I know my history. I know my heart. I know my background. I don't get it. You're holy. You're perfect. You're amazing. You don't deserve someone like me being in your presence, but you gave the best of heaven on a cross so that I can be in your presence. God loves us that much. And that's what worship. Worship is just saying, I'm not sure why you like me like that, but I, I'm just coming into that and saying, Amen. This is what I've got. It's not much, but here it is. Yeah. It's it's coming to God with something. It's it's really crazy, isn't it? It's, it's like we come to God with something and say, here it is. Like it that's it means nothing to me. It makes it makes no sense to my head because there's nothing that I can bring to him. Except for my heart. And that's what they were doing. They were just they were just in that room, just focusing all their attention on him. They were everything else was revolving around him. Everything was revolving around him. We we have a program. We plan things and we say this is when the person's gonna come up and speak. They were just like, God. It's all about you. And then he was able to speak. And what did he say? Verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 10 years, 12 years. It's it's, it's just the right time now, says God. (laughs) It's like, what? I want it like this. God, if you promise it, I want it now. I'm naming it and claiming it. But he has his timing and it's perfect timing. And they were just ready. It's like the Holy Spirit said, you know what? I think Saul is now humble enough and he's desperate enough for me to be at the center of everything. I can use that man all around this Roman Empire. And so he does. So he says, he says, set apart for me Paul and Saul, Saul and Barnabas, for the work to which I've called them. So after they would fasted and prayed more, just to check that that was the Holy Spirit saying that, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. But it doesn't leave it there. I don't want to leave it there tonight. Because when you leave something like that there, it's like we get the credit for laying our hands on somebody and sending them off. Because the next verse in verse 4, it says... The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says and the Holy Spirit sends. The Holy Spirit says and the Holy Spirit sends. A church, any church should be a church pastor where the Holy Spirit is able to speak and the Holy Spirit is able to empower people to minister. You know, we can have all the programs in the world, like I said before. I could preach a message like, you know, all the dot points and everything lines up and it's amazing. It just sounds great. Illustrations, everyone laughs. and The jokes are funny. But if the Holy Spirit isn't in the middle of it, it's just going to fall down dead and it's not going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So like Jesus, I'll finish on this note. Jesus, when he called his disciples after he rose again, right? He called his disciples together. And he gave him the Great Commission. Does anyone know what the Great Commission is? Yeah, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's that's all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people. Baptize them and teach them everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. Each and every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, have some kind of great commission, right? The end of Luke's gospel, Jesus sends them out. But he doesn't send them out. He says, before you do this, like this is the mission, this is the plan, we're going to make disciples, but before you do this, wait. Why? For the Holy Spirit. Wait. Like Jesus waited 30 years before he was able then to do the work that God had called him to the earth to do. In three and a half years, he accomplished it because the Holy Spirit was upon him and anointed him and commissioned him for that work that God had called him for. And the Holy Spirit, he should have a voice in our life, but also he should have power in our life to accomplish what God has called us to do. The, the, the disciples had to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill them before they could be used. You know, I think that's, the, that's true for you and I. That's true for you and I. If, if, we're, if, if I'm going to, Mon, like Monday is tomorrow, if I'm going into my Monday and the Holy Spirit isn't the center of everything that I say and it, everything that I do, then it's not really going to be beneficial to anybody me included, my my children, my wife. He has to be the center of it all. Now, how was he the center of it all in this Acts chapter 13? They worshiped him. They ministered to the Lord and they fasted. They said no to themselves and they said, God, I just want what you want. I want to make you happy. I want to bring a smile to your face. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I can't do much. But if you want me to do it, you can give me the power to do it and the power to say it. So I pray that this week, this Monday will be awesome for you guys. That you'll wake up with a realization that he's with you and that you'll just like roll out of bed, however half asleep you might be, like me this morning was crazy. Just go, it's not about me. It is about you. Please say something. Please do something. Amen. Then go have your coffee. Go brush your teeth and go to work, go to school, whatever. But yeah, let's start with him in the middle. I want to be a disciple under the influence. Do you, I? I? want to be guilty of that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us and that you're able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or dream or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. We invite your Holy Spirit to be the influence in our thoughts, our words, our actions, our reactions, the way we walk, the way we live, Lord, and not just the way we speak. In Jesus' name, amen.